NYU, they have um, uh, an application for their entrance to in their college, just like most colleges. And uh, this is what it says. They, they go through a bunch of questions. At the end, they, they say, we ask you to answer the following question. Are there any significant experiences uh, you have had, uh, accomplishments you've realized that help you define as a person? And there's a guy named Hugh Gallagher who gave uh, one of the most, un- you know, the most shocking, amazing answers ever. And this is what he said. He says, I am a dynamic figure often seen scaling walls and crushing ice. I have been known to remodel train stations on my lunch breaks, making them more efficient in the area of heat retention. I translate ethnic slurs for Cuban refugees. I write award-winning operas. I manage time efficiently. Occasionally, I tread water for three days in a row. I woo women with my sensuous and godlike trombone playing. I can pilot bicycles up severe inclines within flagging speed, and I cook 30-minute brownies in 20 minutes. I am an expert in stucco, a veteran in love, and an outlaw in Peru. Using only a hoe and a large glass of water, I once single-handedly defended a small village in the Amazon basin from a horde of ferocious army ants. I play bluegrass cello. I was scouted by the Mets. I am the subject of numerous documentaries. When I'm bored, I build large suspension bridges in my yard. I enjoy urban hand gliding. On Wednesdays after school, I repair electrical appliances free of charge. I'm an abstract artist, a concrete analyst, and a ruthless bookie. Critics worldwide swoon over my original line of corduroy evening wear. I don't perspire. I am a private citizen, yet I receive fan mail. I have been caller number nine, and I have won the weekend passes. Last summer, I toured New Jersey with a traveling centrifugal force demonstration. I bat 400. My deft floral arrangements have earned me fame in international botany circles. Children, trust me. I can hurl tennis rackets at small moving objects with deadly accuracy. I once read Paradise Lost, Moby Dick, and David Copperfield in one day, and I still had time to refurbish an entire dining room that evening. I knew exact location of every food item in the supermarket. I have performed several covert operations for the CIA. I sleep once a week, and when I do sleep, I sleep in a chair. While on vacation in Canada, I successfully negotiated with a group of terrorists who had seized a small bakery. The laws of physics do not apply to me. I balance, I weave, I dodge, I frolic, and my bills are all paid. On weekends to let off steam, I participate in full contact origami. <laughs> Years ago, I discovered the meaning of life, but I forgot to write it down. I have made extraordinary four-course meals using only a muli and toaster oven. I breed prize-winning clams. I have won bullfights in San Juan, cliff diving competitions in Sri Lanka, spelling bees at the Kremlin. I have played Hamlet, I have performed open-heart surgery, and I have spoken to Elvis but I have not yet gone to college. Now, that is a funny thing, and we like that. It's interesting because of the what, because of the content, because of the, the vibe, the creativity. Uh, I mean, just the, the brilliance, you know, 17-year-old kid um, in, in writing this, but it, it, it's not just the what that I think we like, it's the where. It's, this is a college entrance you know, essay. This is where you're trying to impress people with eloquence and, you know, and, you know, different kind of language. This is not where you brag and boast about your sensuous trombone playing, right? You do that other places. And so we, he, so he's doing this. And so what makes this so interesting is, is not just the what, but it's also the where. It's the context because it's different. This is what we call outside the box, 
apparently there is a box and we're, we're all in it. You know, we're all in the box. And every once in a while, some of us goes outside of the box. We, we go outside of what's expected. We go outside of even imaginations. Um, uh, and uh, the uh, creative and artistic theorists as well as communication experts would call this insulators. These are things that help us frame um, events and give them meaning and expectation. So if I was to say like, well, if you, you know, going down, if you went downtown, for example, and you saw a bunch of men and women in uh, athletic shorts and t-shirts with numbers on them, and then you saw a sign that said starting line, and you saw another line that said finish line, and then you were handed a piece of paper that had a course mapped out that was exactly 26.2 miles, of course you would know that you're at a rodeo. No, you, you would know that you're at a marathon because these are all, these events, these situations, they're all in people. They are all insulators that help us frame what we expect to see. So if you were to go to Tony's, the only five-star restaurant in St. Louis, if you were to go to Tony's and instead of the waiter coming and giving you a menu, gave you a squirrel, you would say, what? But you, your question wouldn't be, what is this? But your question would be, where is this? This is, I, I know what this is, but this doesn't match my expectation. And uh, this happens to me. Uh, people, <laughs> the most common thing, uh, response I get when people find out I'm a pastor is, really? Um, that, you know, the, the draft, except today, um, I raided Ryan Bell, Bell's wardrobe. And we, uh, we... You, you, don't, you don't dress like a pastor, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not old enough. You know, I, my, I had an expectation of like a guy in a collar, a guy in a suit, you know, a guy a little older. I'm working on that. It's, it's coming slowly, but it's happening just year by year. And so we, you know, you, you, know, you, you, know, you say things that I don't hear. So I just like, you're, you're outside of the insulators that I'm used to. You're outside of the box of that. And I don't know what to do to you. And, and to be quite frank, we're not very good. Even of those of us who like to think we're creative and, and different and unique, we're not very good when things go outside of, of the box, or when they go outside of what we expect. Because our brain, everybody's brain works the same. In, in that anytime you get new information, you want to put it in an existing file. And when, when your brain doesn't know what to put uh, that file into, it goes crazy. It either deletes the file or it puts it in the wrong box. And this happens all the time. This is one of the reasons why I don't think we do so well at tragedy. Because we wake up, we think that, hey, you know, I'm going to have some coffee. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to come home and eat some dinner, maybe watch some TV and go to bed. We don't expect to get that phone call. We don't expect to get that email. We don't, we don't, certainly don't expect planes to pierce, you know, tall buildings and government agencies. They go outside of our expectations and we don't do well with things that go outside the box. And I bring this all up because Jesus, this Jewish man from an obscure little area called Nazareth, comes on the scene and says he's the Messiah, that he is the son of God, that he is the hope of the world and we don't know what to do with that. It goes outside of our insulators. In fact, in the early, um, that early first century, when he came on the scene, they didn't know what to do with him either. This guy, Nathaniel, would be a would-be follower. He is uh, quoted in the Gospel of John 1.45 as saying, can anything good 
come out of Nazareth. This does not fit the box that I had expected. The Pharisees, basically, the religious rulers of the day, said he's from the devil. He should not be trusted. He should be ignored, if not killed. The word on the street in Matthew 16 Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're some older prophet. You're basically this good moral teacher who has to, they didn't know what box to put him in. His family thought he was crazy. And even at the end of his life, in Matthew 28, after he had died, after he had risen, risen excuse me, um, it's said that some believed and some doubted. They were still not sure to do with it what to do with Jesus. My question for you this morning is what have you done with Jesus? He doesn't fit in your boxes. He doesn't fit in, he's a good teacher. He doesn't fit in those things. He, he fits outside of that. He is utterly unique and that's a really good thing because you have an utterly unique problem that he's come to address. In fact, what our text says, what, what Maria read for us is it says that you were dead that you are dead, that you are dead, that death is, is a result of sin. Many, everyone agrees. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue with the fact that death is a part of the human equation. We all, we all know that. We all accept that. The question is, no one knows why. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows why death happened, why that is our fate. Now, the Bible gives us a reason. It says that we were uh, dead in our trespasses. trespasses tr- trespass means to deviate. It means to go... Um, uh, to deviate. And so when, when it says that we've deviated, we've deviate, we deviated from God. He is our life source, that God created everything. He created us and he, he created us to be connected to him. So where we belong, where life is, where freedom is, is being connected to him and we need him to survive. Think of your phone or your laptop. It needs a, it, it has a battery, but it needs to be connected and to a life source. It needs to be connected to a plug. Now you can unplug it and it's going to last till like 2.30 in the afternoon when you like really, really need it, but it dies. And so you know what I'm talking about. And so we're just like that as human beings. See, God came to Adam and Eve and says, it, you, you need to stay with me. You need, to, you, need to, you need to live connected to me. If you deviate from that, if you deviate, it's gonna lead to death. So the enemy comes along, hey, what do you mean death? You know, you can, you know you, I, I pulled the plug and I'm still going. So yeah, they pull the plug and just like your phone or your laptop, it continues to have power for a season and it dies. Where does death come from? Death comes from deviation. Death comes from trespass. Death comes from uh, the, the human decision to deviate from God. Bible says that we've all gone astray. We've all deviated. We've all, we've all gone our own way. We've all disconnected ourselves. So why is there death? Because we have disconnected ourselves. But then the passage goes on. It didn't say that we just have death because of our, because of our trespasses. We have, there's death because of trespasses and sins or whatever you want to call it. Um, but we're also dead in our sin. And, that it were, and it talks about flesh and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Circumcision just is, is cutting off and um, cutting away and, and saying like your, the fl- your flesh has not been circumcised and it needs to be circumcised. And that word flesh is a Greek word sarx, S-A-R-K. 
X, which, is, which means your, your sinful nature. It's talking about our sinful nature. And it's talking about the human proclivity uh, to be self-centered, to be self-focused. That you have a almost, un- you do have an uncontrollable desire uh, to think of yourself. We all have, we are all born with this uncontrollable, this all self-centered. What's at the center, what Paul's saying is what's at the center of death is you and I uh, need to constantly think of ourselves. You see, our heart, it's like a computer and it's doing analytics and it's, 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 uh, it's, processing, it's analyzing, and it's constantly analyzing events, it's constantly analyzing people, it's constantly analyzing situations, and this is what it's analyzing, what's in it for me? 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 Martin Luther, you know, he's huge in, the, in Christian history, said that the, that the heart is just curved in on itself. That is the human condition, that is the sinful nature, and that is the source of death, and it's even the source of evil, now, some people think, you know, hey, well, I thought the devil, I thought the devil was behind death. I thought the devil was behind evil. I think, isn't he the center? Okay, what makes de- the devil the devil? Well, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, Paul wrote this letter to Col- the Colossians. He also wrote a couple letters to some young pastors. Um, this guy, Timothy, was one of those pastors, and he wrote a couple letters to him. And one of those letters, the first one in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, he says don't be conceited. Don't be conceited. Don't be prideful. Don't be so arrogant. Don't be so self-focused. Or you might fall under the condemnation of the devil. What makes the devil the devil? The devil fell into pride and, and, self, and, and wanting to be his own king and his own. And so what, what, what drives humanity, what all, and you think about it, what, what, behind all of the world's problems is, is, a, is a need, uh, is, is an over-self-focus. So the wars... Uh, uh, the, the crime, the murder, you know, the misuse of the planet, whatever you would say is like, these are the big global issues. It's all result of self-focus. And even in your individual issues, the re- your marriage, it's, if there's misery in your marriage, if there's misery in your relationship, if there's misery, you're going to find an over-focus on your self. And this nature, we are, we are dominated by it. Paul wrote another letter to the Ephesians, which is very similar to this book of Colossians. In 2, uh, 1 through 2, it says that you once followed these desires. And that word followed is really kind of a weak translation of what really is being said. Because that Greek word there means to be mastered by or controlled. You were once mastered, you were once controlled by yourself. So what do you need to do? Well, you need Jesus. Here's why you need Jesus. Because on the cross, Jesus wasn't thinking, what about me, what about me, what about me? But it says in Hebrews 12, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What does that mean? It means that he looked through the tunnels of time, he looked through the corridors of time, and for the joy of seeing you and you and you and you and you and me, saved from our sin. So on the cross, he didn't say, what about me? He says, what about them? The essence of the devil is a self-focus. The essence of Jesus is not a self-focus, but he gave himself for others. So your, your, your domination of wanting to follow what you want to do and what you think in life is getting you closer and closer and closer and closer, not just away from Jesus, but toward Satan. And you're, and you're creating your own little hell 
and you're moving more and more and more and more and more. That's where it's leading. And you need someone to save you from that. Jesus, he came, and it says that he made us alive. That passing, he made us alive. How did he make us alive? Well, it says, by forgiving you. By forgiving you. Yeah, this is unpopular, but to, to, to be forgiven means you have to admit you've done something wrong. So we've deviated. We've, we've disconnected ourselves from the life source. And so he, he will forgive you of that. And we can, I mean, I don't have time to get, I mean, it, it, cause it, it's, it's not, we've disconnected ourselves from life. It leads to death. So there is a self-focus to want to get that life back, but it's also treason against the king. And there's not a country in our world that takes treason lightly, even our own. It's death or it's life in prison without chances of parole. Basically an end to freedom and life as you know it. And so it wasn't just that you've disconnected yourself, and, but you've committed treason. And you need to be forgiven. You need to be made alive because you're dead. And, you need be, and to be made alive, you need to be forgiven. And to be forgiven, you have to admit that you've deviated. You need to deviate from your deviation. You need to doubt your doubts. and be forgiven. How are we forgiven? Because when you forgive someone, it costs. There, no, there is no such thing as sweeping things under the rug. You know that, I know that. If I owed you 10 grand, and you forgave me a 10 grand, one of us is paying. You either make me pay, or you say I'll pay. Jesus even told a story like this to help illustrate just the, the kind of debt that we owed. It wasn't 10 grand, it was an unpayable debt. That we have incurred an unpayable debt. So he forgave us. How did he forgive us? Because there's this record of sin. There's this record of debt. How many times have you deviated from God numerically and just even the nature? So you've got the number of sins and you have the nature of sin. And so there's this record of debt. Well, how was that? Who dealt with this record of debt? What well, says it was canceled? Okay, how did it get canceled? Well, what it says is God took that record of debt that stood against you. Instead of sticking it in your face, he took it and he put it in his son's hands and he nailed it through on the cross, canceling your debt. He has saved you from your sin. He has saved you from death. And he has saved you from you. He doesn't shove it back in your face and say, I did it, why can't you? But he says, I will take that record of debt and I will nail it to the cross in my own son's hands. And he saves us. You know, you hear that thing, you know, I've been saved. We heard that, you know, people came up today and, today and said, I was saved. Was it saved from what? Whether it's a past or it's a present, there's a fu- future um, implication or aspect of what you are saved from. Let me tell you, if you are in Christ, or if you're not yet in Christ, let me tell you what, what he saves. He saves you from the, pental, the penalty of sin. There is a penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. We experience that in this life physically, and then we just keep on dying. 
The wages of sin is death. He pays that penalty. And he did it 2,000 years ago outside of you. He didn't ask you if you, if you, want, if you, if, you, know, you want him to do this for you. He just did it. It says in Romans, it says, while we were yet sinner, sinning, Christ died for us. Before we even had any kind of thought of saying, oh, I'm, you know, Jesus, who's him? He already died for you. And he paid the penalty. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You may experience a consequence of sin in this life, but you'll never ever, if you are in Christ, you'll never ever experience a penalty. He dealt with that in the past. There's also a present aspect. He dealt with the penalty of sin, but he deals with the power of sin. And those uh, four were just great at talking about how the power of sin, it's, it's still, you know, they're still, they, they're not perfect, but the power of sin is, is being broken. We're not completely saved of that yet, but we are being saved. Christians aren't perfect, but there is progress because the Holy Spirit, God sends his very presence inside of you and empowers you to live and it's bigger than any temptation or it's bigger than anything else God is. So you're saved from the penalty of sin. You're saved presently from the, from the power of sin, but you also will be saved from the presence of sin. Saved from the penalty, saved from the, the power, but you'll be saved from the presence of sin. God created the world, and in Genesis 1.31 says that he said that it was, it was very good. It was perfect. No sin, no death, you know, no disease, no bad weather. Everything tastes good. Everything was healthy. It was just, it was great. It was perfect. It, no, it was all of that. And our heart cries for that. Whether you're with Jesus today or you're not, your heart, that's why we have our causes. That's why we have our issues. That's why we're fighting injustice. That's why we're fighting, um, we want peace. We want equity where there's not equity. We're fighting these things because we want to get free from the presence of sin. You may not use that language, but that's what you want. Well, hey, if you're in Christ, there will be a day where you will be saved. And even though that you die, just as Jesus rose from the dead, as we're celebrating today, you too shall rise. And you will rise in a place uh, where it says in Revelation, there will be no tear, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no pain, there'll be no death, there'll be no disease. See, we have our causes, but I don't know how many hours you're putting into that cause, but it's going to come up short because of the presence of sin. And we need to, keep, we need to, we need to fight for these things, but what I'm trying to say is that it's only until God saves you from the presence of sin. And that's what God saves us from. He saves us from the penalty, from the power, from the presence of sin. And that's why it says in um, Colossians too. I just want to get that for us again real quick. It says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He's done that for us. He's been, he saved us. He's, he's resurrected us into this new world. Christians are those who have been saved. Christians are those who are being saved and Christians are those who will be saved. But here's my question for you is, are you saved? Are you saved? Brian, I'm trying, you know, I'm here, I keep, you know, I keep, no. Are you saved? It's not enough to be, to try. Because all of those just come up empty. 
See, that's the whole point. We can't save ourselves. We have to, we have to look outside of ourselves. You know, there's that very helpful picture um, Elijah came and gave about like when he spilt whatever, spaghetti or red wine as an eight-year-old or whatever. And, and what is he doing drinking wine? I don't know, but it's a whole other issue. But, um, but he spilled, he's like, he's trying to clean it up, trying to clean it up, and he's making it worse. Now, I, I, Ella, um, oh, I hope she didn't hear this. But when she was younger, she, she, she loved spaghetti, all right? And she just went into it. And it was so funny because she, she, she would eat some of it, but most of it would end up on her, you know? Like there's a spaghetti everywhere. And just say, there's spaghetti all over you. And she'd try to like rub it off and just, rub, she'd just make it worse. Just keep rubbing and rubbing and rubbing. Hey, look, you're trying. It's just making it worse. You thinking that you can handle this is actually the problem. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like you thinking that you've got this is the problem. Hey, here's the great news. Jesus came and he, he's, he died on the cross. He, he, he took your place. He paid for the penalty and he rose to new life and he, he gives you new life. He, 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 he loves you that much to die for you and he has the power to defeat that. So have you, has he saved you? He is a unique, you have a unique problem and Jesus uniquely can solve that. So what are you doing with Jesus? Where, where is, has he saved you? Here's what I think you should do. I think you should come to him today. I think you should receive him. The Bible uses this word repent. I said early, earlier, deviate from your deviation. Repent means to change course. You, we started off connected to him. The whole human race deviated and we've all since deviated. Not one has stayed true. The only one who stayed true is Jesus himself. You need to get connected back into him. You need his life source. You need his, you need his life. You need Jesus to come. You need God to enter. And see, God, to, God, you just don't need God to have entered history, which he has. You need God to enter your history. Has he entered your history? Not do you go to church, not are you a good person, but have you said, Jesus, save me? Have you said, Jesus, save me? And he will save you. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, will be saved. He desires that none perish. He's, he's here with us and he's speaking to some of you right now. You've, you may be unfamiliar with his voice, but he's speaking to you. And if he's speaking to you, I think you should respond to him. Just like we heard from Jeff. Like there's just something, you know, he's been invited to a Bible study dozens of times, but there was something in that one where it's just like, he can look back and say, no, God was speaking to me. Maybe you've been to, in a church service hundreds of times, dozens of times. But now it's different because God's speaking to you. You should respond to that.